Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nothing Owed Podcast. As always, we are bringing you another amazing episode. I know you guys are going to like this one, but before we do, before we get into it, I want to talk about our sponsors. As always, Season 2 is sponsored by Modus Nation, so please check out ModusNation.com. They are always coming off new designs, new shirts. Ben and Lindsay do amazing work. I always mention it because they, they really do. I really love what they're doing. They're making great products, and they're taking the time to give back to the community. So they definitely deserve your support. So please check them out and please use our promo code nothing owed to get a special discount on the website at modusnation.com. So please check them out. And I always like to mention some of our other guests and associates and sponsors of the show that can definitely use your support. So please, uh, winfieldwatch.com, check him out, check out Mark. Uh, just checking on his social media. I know he has a new design that just was released. Uh, it's a new field watch, which looks awesome. So please check him out. Please check out windfieldwatch.com. Cranky Veteran Candle is another one, one of our associates. They have helped us out quite a bit over the uh, season. So please uh, give them your support. They make some really awesome candles. They're all natural. They're actually a healthy candle, if you can believe it. So when you're uh, you're burning a Cranky Veteran Candle, you're not putting a lot of, uh, to- or you're not really putting any toxic chemicals into uh, the air, which is awesome. So they're really doing a, a great job making great products and you're supporting a, another veteran-owned company. And Aaron Meza, Grind Ups Coffee, please check him out. Please support him. Great coffee. He's also taking the time to give back to charity. And, you know, Aaron, like most all of our guests, they have a great product. They have a great story. But at the same time, even though they're new, Aaron is taking the time to, to give back to charity. So he has a special a canine charity that he works with, so please check him out. Please check out grindopscoffee.com. Go buy some coffee. Check out all the uh, promotions they have on their website. And check out the uh, the charity that's linked on his website. Uh, and with, again, with Grindops Coffee, he's not just selling you a bag of generic wholesale coffee with his sticker on it. He's actually taking the time to, to design the roasts. So you're getting a very unique bag of coffee. It's very good. It's it's not just an off-the-shelf coffee. It's it's a coffee you can't get any can't get anywhere else. So please uh, check him out. I know he's gonna appreciate all the business he gets. Uh, but Grind Up's coffee is awesome. Uh, please check them out. And uh, Forest Flags. Please check out Forest Flags. He makes some awesome wood um, designs, wood flags with uh, special engravings, custom engravings. Um, he's doing awesome work. He's a veteran. Also, he can definitely uh, definitely use your support, and you'd be getting a, a great product in return. So with that, um, before I, I talk too much, let's uh, get into the show. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Old Podcast. As always, we're here with Ben and Brian. And as always, we have another awesome guest. Uh, we have Mike Shar, who is a regional vice president of a massive Fortune 500 company. And as you'll probably hear, we got to be a little bit vague just because of his position. But uh, very cool, very cool guest. He has a lot of experience. He has a lot of knowledge. Uh, he's given a lot of speeches and has a lot of motivation to give you guys. So I'm very excited to talk to him. We've been chatting for a few minutes. Awesome guy. Got a lot to talk about, a lot to contribute to the show. So really appreciate him, really appreciate him being here. But before we do, I always like to say hi to Ben and see what's new. So Ben, how you been? What's new? Good, man. Excited about today. It's been a crazy week at work and uh, you know, with Modus, Modus is booming re- recently. So, um, we did a couple shows last weekend and 
you know, just been crazy hectic, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited about Mike. Mike and I have known each other for about 20 years. One of the most motivational guys, uh, I know, um, he, you know, anytime I'm down in the dumps about business, you know, throughout my career, different careers, you know, just shooting him a call and, and, you know, getting his take on it usually kind of grounds you out and, and makes you kind of look at a perspective that maybe you didn't look at and, uh, and gives you usually some pretty smart advice. Um, so I'm excited. He, he's a motivational guy. He motivates his employees and others around him every day. Like you said, he's part of, um, I mean, I don't take his thunder, but he, he's involved in some community activities, sits on several boards for nonprofits. He teaches uh, or gives seminars at some universities where he's at. Um, he's, he's kind of a jack of all trades and he's an absolute patriot. So, um, you know, I'm excited. We, we probably have, we probably could just tell stories about him and I and, uh, and fill, fill the time, but I don't think most of those stories are allowed to be retold. So <laughs> yeah, fair, fair I enough. Get the beeper out, but that'll be a topic for our, uh, part two when we invite you back. So that sounds very cool. But in any case, uh, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, thanks for being on the show. Glad you're here. Uh, if you could, just kind of give everyone a brief intro, a um, little bit of background, kind of maybe where you got started. And then uh, really would just like to hear your whole story. So, uh, Mike, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, awesome, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me and, and really great intro. I think hopefully I can live up to, to, to that intro. It was, uh, it was really good. But, um, yeah, like you guys said, right, I'm a – an executive at an insurance company, publicly traded insurance company. Uh, been in insurance, uh, probably coming up on, on 25 years. Uh, you know, I got into this business almost by accident. So when I graduated college, I was a criminal law major. Um, when I came out, uh, the, the federal government had shut down. And so I sent out a ton of resumes to, uh, to the FBI, to Treasury Department, Secret Service, the DEA. And all of them were coming back because they just had a hiring freeze and, and they weren't hiring. My mom um, was an executive at an insurance company and said, hey, maybe, maybe look at insurance. I didn't really know anything about it. Um, you know, I was uh, the criminal law, but I loved the forensic side of, of stuff. And so I went in and, and met with some folks. And, and I think they had, you know, 100 or so uh, applicants and they were taking two or three. And so it was a really tough kind of pool of candidates. And um, and I wound up in an underwriting trainee position, which at the time I still really didn't understand what what that meant. But uh, do you know how to really... underwrite now? You've been doing this for twenty five years. Could you underwrite a policy? <laughs> no, nobody lets me underwrite anymore. Now. That's uh, yeah, that's what I thought. I sort of started not knowing it, and I'm probably going to end my career not not knowing it. No, I leave that to the to the pros. But um, but it was great. It was you know, there was some real forensic science to it. So some behavioral science to it, interacting with people. I love numbers. Um, so I, I just, I really enjoyed it and, uh, and started to excel at it, I, I guess. And, and so I'd always had a, a goal of running my own field office. Um, and now I'm finally doing that. So again, kind of, you know, setting those priorities, setting goals, I think is really important and, and setting goals in a business that you really don't even understand um, was kind of hard to do, but I just tend to ask a ton of questions and I, and I love to talk to as many people as possible, right? What do you do? What do you do? Um, what's your job? What's your position? And 
and you just meet some really interesting people. And, and once you hear some, you know, important jobs or jobs you think would be uh, would be interesting, I think it's good to kind of set those goals and, and have those priorities. It took me quite a bit of time uh, to do it and a lot of hard work. And I know we'll I know we'll get into that probably more during the during the podcast. Yeah, for sure. So when you just out of curiosity, when you first took that underwriting job, did you have any any vision of what that entailed, or did you have any any big plans, or was it just kind of that's the job that was available, and did you maybe think it was going to be short term? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I didn't know. I didn't, uh, you know, do I do do I do this job for a year or two, um, and then maybe try to go back into a, into a you know federal type type job? But it was a big commitment because I was living in New Jersey at the time uh, with my wife. She was my my girlfriend at that at that point. We've been together since we were teenagers, so. Um, so when they asked me, they gave me a, they were going to relocate me, move me. Um, you know, as I look back now, it wasn't a ton of money, but at that time it was, and, right. you know, so you have to sort of sign a contract if they move you and you quit within, you know, a year or two, you have to pay it back. And, and so once I made that decision and, and I think I'm definitely kind of known for that. Once I decide to do something, I just, I just go through with it and, uh, and stay committed to it. So they were investing in me. So I was going to invest in them and, and, um, and once I got there, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed the people I worked with. I enjoyed working with, with agents. Um, even as I was just trying to figure it out and, and, and kind of understand what I was supposed to do, what the industry was all about. It was, and I still say it today, it's it, the insurance business has just some of the best people, like some of my closest friends are, you know, I've met through, uh, through the insurance business. So, yeah. So I, I don't know if I thought I'd be in it for 25 or 30 years, but, right. uh, but I knew I was going to commit to it for at least at least a couple of years. How long? So was your first? I don't even know this. Was your first? Uh, so you went in as as a trainee for underwriting, but then how long did it take you to move into that sales role? Yeah. So interesting. So I I started working for Maryland Casualty, um, right? Who's who's no longer around. So I I started as an underwriting trainee, went through the program, became a desk underwriter. Uh, living in Baltimore, Maryland. And so I was doing that for, I don't know, maybe two or three years. And then Zurich came in and bought Maryland Casualty. And so when they bought them, uh, they wanted to decentralize underwriting. They wanted to send field underwriters out to the field. And so, right, they approached me and said, hey, we have a couple options for you. And uh, we could move you back to New Jersey, which my, my wife and I, she's from New Jersey as well. We were like, wow, that could be, yeah, that could be really cool go back home or they had an off an option to go to Arizona. And so we kind of said, Hey, we've never been out West. I mean, I'd never been past Pittsburgh, um, didn't travel a lot as a kid. And so we just kind of said, Hey, maybe it's worth the adventure or let's go out to Arizona. And if we don't like it, we, you know, we could always come back. And, um, and that's how we wound up moving out to Arizona. And then I was in that sales field underwriting job. Ben, when, when you and I met, so yeah. that's, that's how I wound up so out West. The, how Mike and I met was the funniest story. So I was maybe three months out of the army, like three months from Fort Hood. And uh, I got a sales job on the agency side. So Mike works on the company side. He he works with agents to get agents to sell their product. And so I was on the agency side selling product. And I, I had just gotten to Las Vegas and we had a guy in our office. He's probably 60 years old. And he, he, uh, he got, he was the guy that would get us our quotes. We bring the information back from whatever company 
Um, in this case, it was a painting company. It was the first account I ever quoted. And uh, this guy's name was Gary. And Gary gives me this Zurich quote. And so I go out, I sell it. I get to check. I'm all proud of myself. I don't even know if I was licensed yet. And I'm, I'm so proud of myself. This job's easy. I'm going to make millions. And uh, I walk in, hand Gary the check. And he says, oh, hey, man, Zurich can't. They're, they're getting out of the construction business, which was the trend at the time. And, and they, they're not going to honor this quote. And, and I went nuts on this guy. I mean, I went drill sergeant on this guy. You know, I was still in like army mode. I was like, you know, I will rip your head off and pee down your freaking <laughs> spine. Like, like I am going to destroy your life. Like you do your job. I'll do my job. And you gave me the quote, you're going to make it work. And he turned all white. He didn't know what to say. And uh, the, we actually had a bond lady, a lady that ran our bond department. She goes, Hey Ben, come here real quick. She said, close the door. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? She's like, hey, you can't talk like that to people in a regular office. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? He needs to do his job. Like, that's how you talk to people when they're not doing their job. And she's like, no, no, that's not how you talk to people <laughs> in an insurance agency when they don't do their job. So like a week goes by and I find out, I find out later that Gary calls Mike. Mike's the field underwriter. And he says, like basically, hey man, you have to do this policy or this guy is going to kill me. And Mike says, "Who is this dude?" You know, so he's like, "I'm coming by the office next week." And so he, Gary ends up getting Mike to to do the policy for me. I write the policy, and so like a week later, I hear Mike walk in, and you know, in his loud voice, he's like, "Where's this dude Woodbury at?" And so he takes me to lunch, and come to find out, his dad, uh, Mike's father, was a, a officer in the army, and was actually. Uh, at the division headquarters in first armor division when I deployed to Bosnia with first armor division. So I knew his name and knew who he was. So we hit it off immediately. We've been friends since, but it's just funny. I love telling people that story. Like I, I, I literally took this 60 year old guy and was about to kill the guy. And uh, I think he probably didn't sleep very well that night, but Mike thought it was funny. So we've been <laughs> friends since. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I, I still remember that phone call from Gary. He's like, you, you got to do this. Can you help me out? I'm like, not really. Like this is, <laughs> but, but again, that's where you learn, right. If, you know, you've got to make some of those decisions and uh, you know, are they rules? Are they guidelines? Right. You, I, I didn't know we would be friends for 20 years. But yeah. And we've I, written, I mean, in the, you've, you've had different iterations. You've had different evolutions in your career where you were at different insurance companies and that relationship and that decision, I mean, from a business standpoint, I've tried to place every piece of business I could with you since then. And, you know, that's how you develop relationships. So yeah, good right. stuff. Yeah. It's again, it's, it's, it's always trying to do the right thing, right. And trying to help not you, you can't always help, but, uh, but certainly in that instance, I could, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going to call you on the phone. I, I definitely was going to drive down there and meet you in person. So. <laughs> it's good stuff. I love it. So just out of curiosity, this may be off topic a little bit, but when you guys are talking about insurance policies, like Ben, were you act? Was it essentially like you were the retailer, and then Mike was kind of the wholesaler of the insurance policy? Is that kind of the way it would work? Yeah, very similar to that. So Mike, uh, and he can chime in, but the, you know, the insurance industry, like like Mike has said, is I mean, number one, I don't think anybody, and he has a great story for this, but I don't think anybody grows up wanting to be in the insurance business. Number one, and then number two, once you get in it. 
there's all different kinds of levels. There's different kinds of, um, you know, life and health versus property and casualty, et cetera, et cetera. And we won't get into the minutia. It's very boring. But Mike's career has been at the corporate uh, company level. So he works for an insurance company who then I worked at the agency level where I represent multiple insurance companies, one of which was always his. And so he's trying to convince us to sell his product to businesses. I've always worked on the um, on the commercial side, independent agency, which means I, I generally sell from, to businesses. So I go into a business, I go, hey, you need auto, work comp, uh, general liability, these things to run your business. That's generally what I sold. I, didn't, I never really sold um, like life insurance to a guy or personal auto insurance or homeowners insurance. That wasn't my gig. So what? So I was always trying to sell Mike's product, basically. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it, totally. So, I mean, essentially, you could sell one company multiple products from multiple different companies. Yes. Yeah. I could go in and, and, you know, if, if, if I met with you and you had a barber shop, right. I could sell you work comp from Hartford and um, general liability from Zurich and then CNA could do your property insurance and whatever. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I figured it'd be kind of interesting to kind of break that down for someone that, you know, you hear insurance, like we were talking about, you know, the insurance industry, but I think like we're talking about, there's so many aspects to it that, you know, if someone's looking for a career change, I think there are a lot of different areas they could kind of look into, or maybe, you know, different uh, fields they could go to, even within the umbrella of insurance, you know. Well, Mike, would you, would you repeat that story you told us about um, when you were, when you gave that presentation to the college students? I mean, that kind of is relative to what we're talking about as far as maybe, you know, if a listener is out there thinking about trying to get into some sort of career there, you know, the insurance business is a great career. Um, but tell that story again, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. No, I think, uh, you know, talking to, uh, to students at a, a school business, um, right. And we asked the question of, of how many kids think they, their, their major would apply to the insurance field and, and none of them raised their hand. Um, and so then as we started talking about all the types of careers, you know, both on the company side and, and then on the agency side, and that there's there's loss control and there's third-party claims, there's TPA firms, right? There's, as we took them through this, you know, at the end, we asked the same question and almost every single hand went up, right? So regardless of what your major is uh, within business, um, you know, mine was criminal law, I had nothing to do, I wasn't a business major. Uh, we have plenty of people who have psychology degrees, right? Almost, almost any degree can apply because the insurance business is experience-based. That's that's what we tell people. Like your your first year on the job, you're not going to know anything. I don't care who you are or how smart you are, unless you <clears throat> go to like University of Georgia that has an insurance CPU designation. There are a handful of folks who do want to be in insurance, and they go through that designation. They they really do understand it as they come in. But most people sort of fall into this job, um, and then it just becomes experience based, right? It's just and the more you do, the more you learn. Um, the more we're able to teach you. And so that's how people, people progress. But yeah, there's almost, there's almost too many careers within on the carrier side to even, to even take people through. So I would, I would just tell folks, if you have any interest, find an insurance professional or, and just talk to them, right? Because it's, that's also a hard thing to do is how do you get into an insurance company? Um, I've been asked that question and I'll be honest, I don't have a great answer. 
um, cause you have to sort of know where to look, who to look for. So I just, I think you do it through networking and, and that's what we were trying to do with business schools in the state of Arizona. Um, one of the boards I sat on was just trying to create awareness through the universities that, that insurance could be, uh, could be a really cool career. I've noticed, speaking of that, I've noticed on a lot of the, you know, job boards like Indeed and things like that, a lot of the, I think what would be major insurance companies, they seem like they're always advertising there. They always have job postings like Edward Jones. Um, I know New York life is another one I, I see all the time. Is that, would that be a good place to start? Or is that a different type of career that maybe is not related to what we're talking about? No, I, I think it's a great place to start because, um, Again, I think if you can have that meeting and you start to network with people and, and meet folks, right? Somebody like me would ask questions like, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you like to do? And someone might say, well, I'm a bath major. And, right, I love actuarial science. Well, I deal with actuaries every day, every week, right? We have jobs for you. If someone says, well, I'm just really passionate about sales. Um, I work with our sales teams every single day. If somebody says, well, I have a really analytical sort of forensic kind of kind of mine, we might put point them towards underwriting. Um, and underwriting is is underwriting, right? It's if you underwrite life policies or you underwrite personal lines policies or if you underwrite commercial policies, the concepts of underwriting stay the same. Um, you'll have to learn the forms and the coverages and, and sort of the language and the lingo, but but underwriting is, is still underwriting, right? Because on the company side, I think the one thing maybe people don't know is we're the ones who assume the risk. Okay. So when we write the insurance policy, if there's a $10 million claim, we're the ones who write that check, right? So where, you know, Ben brings us, the, in, the independent agent brings us the client, then it's our job to sort of assess and underwrite, determine, you know, what forms we're going to apply, what exclusions we're going to apply, what price should we charge for the, um, for the policy? Because if there's a claim, we're the ones that pay it. So. Hmm. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I like to ask it. It was probably a simple question, but um, you know, it's one of those things that I, I think every day I see a posting for New York Life or Edward Jones or one of them, and I always wondered about that. It's like, are they having a hard time finding people, or is it a career that maybe has a high turnover? So I was always curious what the inside scoop was. I think yeah, insurance. I think insurance companies too are always, especially those ones that you're mentioning, are always looking for quality salespeople. Um, you know, I mean, you're always looking for for quality people in general. But I think if you are a good salesperson, it's much easier to get into the, if you can succeed selling on the agency side and on the carrier side, it's probably much easier to get into that business and succeed. I think if, you know, if you're a math, I mean, if you're an actuarial type person or an underwriter, that may be, if there's job openings, that's a good place to start and then move around. But but that's, I think probably it's a little more difficult to get those kind of jobs. I think the ones you're talking about that you see all day are just insurance companies want people that can sell. Um, and that's what they're advertising all the time. And if you have any kind of sales acumen, it's very easy is not the word. That's a terrible word because it's not an easy job. It's a much of a, it's a grind, right? But if you have the skill set, you can be very successful very quickly in the insurance business. Yeah. Yeah. It's well said. And I think if you're open-minded, once you kind of get your foot in the door, you get to interact with all these other areas where maybe you think you're a better fit or somebody within the company might think you're a better, better fit. And again, I think for insurance companies, we tend to hire ahead of the curve. Um, and so what I mean by that is because the experience base, so as 
the biggest risk to our, one of the biggest risks to our industry is as experience leaves the business, how do we replace that? Like I cannot replace 30 years of experience with two years of experience. Right. I, I can't do it. And if I hire 10 people with two years of experience, that doesn't equal 20 years of experience. That equals <laughs> 10 people with two years of experience, right? So the person with 30 years has seen a lot. Um, there's still things every day. When things land on my desk, it's always things that nobody's ever seen before, right? Or how do we handle this? And it is, it is a very thought-provoking business, which no, no day ever looks the same. Right. There's not not to say it's not monotonous at times. There's still jobs, but every day can be different. Right. We have days where we have huge claims and we're, we're scrambling to handle that. And, and when there's claims, right, that's impacting people's lives, either through a fatality or or a death of a loved one or you know catastrophic loss to a business that we have to interact with with those people in the in the worst moments. And that's like we take that so seriously in, in our business and maybe people don't always think that or feel that. Um, but we know when anytime we're interacting with an insured, it's typically one of the worst moments in their lives. And, um, and we take it very serious. So can, can you talk a little, I mean, if you can't, I understand, but can you talk a little bit about some of the, those challenging cases that end up on your desk? Like what are some issues yeah. that you see? Yeah. I mean, there's a few that stand out. Certainly one, uh, not, not at my current company. This was, uh, was several years ago, and Ben may remember this. It was, it was certainly one that made the news, and it was uh, it was a plane crash that happened in in Nevada, um, a large account that we rode. And we, you know, part of the underwriting process, if there's let's say five executives in the company, we don't want all five of them flying together, right? There's there's protocol around you know no more than two on any plane, or because it can be catastrophic, and for for whatever reason, this was like a short hop. They were going from um, somewhere in Nevada over to, to California and um, and it was a plane crash. And so I'll, I'll just never forget it because, you know, we were we were on the work comp piece of it. Um, my boss at the time who had my job today, um, I just remember having those conversations and it's, you know, we, it becomes very mathematical for us, right? We never want to be, you know, we never want to be cold, but in the work comp claims, there's assignments to, to how those things work. And so I just, I, I'll never forget the moment where my boss is like, Hey, we're going to do the right thing. And, um, you know, we're going to reach out to these families. We're going to, we're going to pay some of this claim ahead of, of how it's being adjusted and all these kind of things. And so I just got to see and learn, like, there's certainly rules and regulations that you have to follow, but there's instances where, again, you know, I did the right thing for, for Ben way back when on a $6,000 policy, right? It, yeah, and you see, he remembers it thirty years later. And so, in that moment, I I didn't meet with the with the families, but I know my boss did, and some others. And so, who was, was that? Just, who who was the boss at the time? Can you say his name? Is it somebody I know? Yeah, it's it's definitely somebody you know. He's retired. I would prefer not to say it. Yeah, yeah. Tell you offline, you'll definitely know who it is. Um, and I you think I do, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, knowing that person, he was just he was just such a quality. Um, such a quality human being, right? But I got to see just just how how the whole process worked, right? The financial piece of it internally, how we're going to do this. Uh, but then the human and emotional component uh, of doing the right thing, it was just, yeah, because, you know, again, I've seen some just horrific claims. We've had some this year. And and, and again, when they land on my desk, they're, they're big and they're nasty. And, um, and they tend to be, you know, they can be fatalities, auto accidents accidents, things like that. And so you read through the claims notes and it, it affects you, right? Because, 
you know, you're an insurance executive, but you're a husband, you're a dad, um, you're a son, you're a brother, right? You're, you're all those things. And so when you see, you know, people losing loved ones, property is, is emotional too. When people lose their business or they lose their home, I mean, that is, those are really, really difficult times. And again, I don't, you know, I don't think we get the same rap as maybe a dentist, but, uh, you know, if, if you have a tooth that's killing you, you're going to rush to the dentist and you hope they do a good job. And so when people are calling us, it is, it is those really bad times, but that, that one probably sticks out the most for me just because it was, it was a year long process, right? It, it just took a lot. And then it was the impact to the business. How do we handle the underwriting component, knowing that, you know, a lot of senior executives are no longer there folks that founded the company. I mean, it was, that, that was a difficult one. Like I was, it was a long time ago and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Can, can you talk a little bit about the, the process behind that? Because, I mean, it, when you say it takes a year, I mean, it, at least from my end, it seems like, you know, okay, pretty straightforward plane crash, you have insurance, there should be some amount of money that gets paid out. But, I mean, what, what are the things that you can talk about that you're looking at on the back end to ensure that claim is, is properly processed? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just making sure we do it right, making sure um, – you identify all the people that are that are on the plane, right? You have to identify them, and make sure they are insured, uh, make sure they're listed on the policy, right? Kind of go through all that. And so you're working with coroner's office, you're working with uh, with law enforcement, right? Making sure it's not foul play. Is it just an insurance law? So we, okay. at times, we have to kind of sit tight and wait as that process kind of kind of plays itself out. Then you start to think about like lawsuits. Um, what caused the accident? Was it, was it an issue with the plane? Was it an issue with the pilot? Was it an issue with how who booked the plane? Did the company own the plane? Right. There's just so many things that yeah. you sort of think through, hmm. um, and go through. It's just sort of, you go through that. It's very, like I said, it's very methodical and process driven. So we don't miss steps. Um, yeah, and there's, just, there's a word in the insurance industry called subrogation and, uh, it's a big thing with claims. So like Mike's talking about, like, it's not, unfortunately, it's not as clear cut as these, these people passed away, pay the dollar amount on the policy. Um, you know, in that, in that case, and I don't, I remember the case, but I don't remember if this was the facts in this case or not, but like if, if maybe the plane had a, mal a malfunction that was manufacturer issue, right? The insurance company, the, the front company is going to pay part of the claim, but then subrogate some of the claim to the insurance company of the manufacturer, you know, and if, you know, that, that those things get passed on along, um, you know, if, if there's product involved, if there's um, construction involved, if there's other things involved, that's why it takes so long is that they, that's, that's why they're, you know, they're um, adjusting the claim. That's when they're adjusting it. You know, it's not just necessarily, sometimes it is, sometimes it is, it is what it is. Here's the money. Right. But a, but a lot of times in the adjustment process, you know, whoever's there's people to be held or companies to be held culpable and responsible for things. And those insurance companies pay portions and, and up and down the line. So, I mean, there's, we're getting way down in the weeds, but I mean, there's, uh, you know, construction defect claims are, are infamous, right. For the way laws have been written in many of the States, especially out West, um, on, 
you know, if, if, if Brian and I build a home, we're, we're a general contractor and we build a home in 2000, the year 2000. And then we have, we change insurance companies every year. You know, we have company A in 2000, we have company B in 2001, we have company C in 2002 and so on, but we don't get a construction defect claim until 2008. Who's responsible for that? Is that the insurance company in 2008 who you're paying premium to, but you did the work in 2000? There's all kinds of, and lawyers have eaten that up and changed those things to where every company is responsible. The way the policies are written are different now to avoid, you know, that tail coverage kind of thing. So it's, it's really complex and interesting. I, I loved the insurance business. It was, and you know, on my end, I was meeting with, um, I like to go out and meet with the roofer and learn about the roofer's business and break bread with the roofer. And I became emotionally attached to many of my clientele. Most of my clients, by the time I retired from the insurance business, I'd had those clients for years, decades. Um, and that's what I enjoyed about it. I enjoyed hanging out with certain company people too and partying on the company dime. But <laughs> we, we are, I mean, who knew insurance could be so fun, right, Brian? I mean, it's, yeah. it is, there, there is real complexity to it. Again, it, when I say it's, it's never the same, you know, there aren't any claims that are identical. There aren't any None. None. situations. They're all separate. They're all different. No. There's times where to Ben's point, they're very benign and straightforward. Sometimes there's criminal intent and criminal investigation that has to happen. Fraud. Fraud. Yeah, how much? Yeah. Well, I mean, can you say what percentage of cases you see? I mean, how, how much fraud do you really see? <clears throat> Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that is a really, really tough one. Um, but even in, so even in the insurance business on the company side, we'll have units called SIU, special investigation units. These are folks that, you know, worked at the CIA or worked at the FBI and, you know, we'll send them out. We'll do a lot of depositions, right? If you have a, if you're involved in a serious claim, there could be a deposition, right? Things go on record. It's, it, it is a felony to commit insurance fraud and, and, you know, so we take it very serious, but yeah, we, we have some very, again, those are all the kinds of jobs like you just yeah. wouldn't think working in an insurance company that you would interact with, you know, two, two folks that are retired from the CIA That's and you'll cool. have conversations, you know, have conversations with them around some issues or potential fraud and a claim. They'll bring me up to speed, loop me in on something. It could be either agency driven or insured driven and and again, that could be a, a random Wednesday for me where I'm like, wow, I just spent three hours with, you know, 30 year career CIA agents to talk about insurance fraud. Right. It's yeah. Just, I will say, I will say in my, uh, I mean, I was almost, I, you know, almost 20 years in the insurance business. I would say that I think in all my time, real fraud, maybe two or three times where we kind of, we had a claim come in and, I think Mike, I think you and I even worked on one of them um, together, uh, but where you, you kind of scratch your head and go, that just doesn't sound right. And most of the time on the agency side, when we get the claim, we would, if we felt like there was something, you know, a little shady going on, we would actually talk to the carrier. I'd, I'd go, Hey, Mike, we got this claim. It's coming in, put a star next to it when your guy goes out, you know? Cause, cause you don't want to ruin your relationship with your insurance company either. You know, 
you don't want you don't want the mics of the world sitting there going, wait, is Ben's agency putting crap business with us? That's you don't want that either. It's all relationship driven. The entire right. business is relationship driven from top to bottom. You can't ruin relationships with underwriters. You can't ruin relationships with the, the company reps. You can't ruin relationships with the claims adjuster. You want that guy to put your stuff at the top of the pile. It's all relationship. Right. Yeah. And all the and all the cliches apply. Right. It's, yeah. it's a people business. It's a it's a very small business. Right. If, if you're not doing the right thing all the time, everybody knows about it. And so, yeah, there's yeah. a ton of integrity in this business, which which I love. Right. Because, you know, everyone has to sort of operate that way because, you know, at the end of the day, we all sort of know each other. Right. It's uh, it's not the six degrees of separation. It's more like two in this in this business definitely definitely on your side of the the business too i don't know how many people um that you and i have known have worked for company a and then before you know it they're at company c you know and then they're back at company a and you know it's it's this right and and there it is it's a very small world um i mean even i mean that's countrywide too that's not just you know on the west coast or in las vegas it's a you know you you know, once you've been in the business for a minute, you can you can almost pick up a phone and call any major carrier in any major city and get a hold of somebody that you've interacted with. Right, right. Yeah, it's as yeah, as strange as that sounds, that is a true statement. That yeah, is, that is very cool. So I wanted to kind of dig into that because I think that's useful because I think like we talked about, I think a lot of people they hear insurance and oh, I don't want to sell insurance. Well, yeah, you don't have to do that. But that, that's really interesting to hear all that. I'm I'm glad you explained that. So thank you. But um, so let's get out of the weeds. So you've had a long career. So I mean, can you kind of talk to us about how you started to move up and then you took on some bigger roles and things like that? And let's see how you, you progressed in your career. Yeah, sure. No, I think, uh, you know, for me, it was that first move out to out to Arizona. And then, um, you know, I was fortunate, fortunate enough at a pretty young age to get an opportunity to move to Nevada okay. um, and open up that territory for Zurich. Um and, you know, I was pretty humbled by that, uh, that experience. I mean, it was a big task and, and, and a lot of pressure, right. Going to a state, we didn't have any business. We didn't have any agents appointed. We didn't, we didn't really have anything. And so it was sort of that entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, what am I supposed to do? And my boss saying that oh, you figured it out. <laughs> right. And, you know, we'll check up on you every 30 days, make sure you're hitting plan and doing all these things. So it was, I, I just really loved that. And so I sort of got known for that, I guess. Um, I've moved a ton, uh, third time living in Arizona, as my wife would tell you it's our last time. Um, you know, she moved cross country, seven months pregnant from Connecticut to San Francisco. I would not recommend that. Um, so it was, it was tough, but it was, you know, these were great opportunities for me. And, you know, when I, when I worked at, uh, at Hartford, there was kind of a term, right. You had to do your tour. You had to go to home office, just which was good, right? You had to get to know more people, especially if you're going to be at the executive level. You have to have a strong network and, and know as many job functions as possible. So I, I moved back to Hartford, Connecticut, and then back out to a field office in, in San Francisco. So, you know, I've had, um, yeah, I've had a, a really great career. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like it's done. I mean, people have asked me maybe what's next. I mean, I, I love what I do, love the company I work for. Um, and like I said, running, running a large field office um, was my goal when I was 23 years old. And now I've been doing it for, you know, maybe eight, eight years or so. And so I'm just really enjoying it. Um, 
So that's, that, that's kind of how I did it. I, I think for me, it was taking some risk too, right? Going, you know, moving to a state where there was nothing. If I didn't succeed, you know, would they fire me? Probably not, but they'd probably pull me back and, and send somebody else because this is a success driven business too. Um, people have to be successful, right? And, and there's a lot of eyes on you and there's a lot of pressure, but if you relish that and you do well, you know, you'll continue to get opportunities. So I think taking some risk early on, I figured, you know, I am 26, 27. I don't know what I don't know, but right. you know, if somebody has confidence in me that I should probably have confidence in myself and I'll, I'll go try and do it. So. Very cool. When Mike, when Mike first, uh, well, he got out to San Francisco and then, and then he moved from one insurance company to another and they, uh, they like promised him, there was a guy that was going to retire. I'm probably telling this story wrong, but there's going to, a guy was going to retire from this other insurance company at an executive level. And they, and Mike, this company says, Hey, we want you to come on board. When this guy leaves, you're going to get this job. And so Mike says, okay. And in the interim, they put him as the head. This company has a huge underwriting office. Like it's just a building full of number crunchers. And I flew out to Walnut Creek area. This is where this is at. And we went to lunch and it was the first time ever in his career. Like he had to like, Hey, I can only leave the office for like an hour because that's when lunch is. And I was like, wait, what? And so we meet for lunch. I'm in San Francisco doing some business. I go over to Walnut Creek to link up with them. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, I said to him, I said, I give you five to six months. He's like, what? I said, you are miserable. He's like, we've been here for 10 minutes. How do you know I'm miserable? And I'm like, because you're in charge of a bunch of underwriters that are asking you underwriting questions and you have no idea. Like you have no, and you're not very good at tech and everything this company had was like an online rating system. So everything, he was miserable. And five months later, he got the job. I think that you have now or or started there and he was gone. He called me up. He says, dude, you're right. I was miserable. This sucks. <laughs> I don't think the guy ever retired. I mean, he probably is now, but yeah, he did now. Yeah. 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 I think, I think the less, the lesson here kids would be know, know your strengths and know your weaknesses um, and know what you're, you're good at, but what you're passionate about too. That's why I kind of opened with that. It, it's, you know, you all, everyone has to, I don't want to even call it a misstep. That's, that wouldn't be fair, but. It, no, it was, I mean, I think you developed, that insurance company had some great contacts. You met some great people, you know, for sure. yeah, for I sure. I learned a ton, right? And sometimes learning what you prefer not to do is just as healthy and as beneficial yeah. as learning what you want to do, right? So oh, it, yeah. it really did solidify for me, just stay really focused on what you've always wanted to do, Mike, and, and just go after that. So, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, was the funniest. Like, I remember leaving there, dude, going, <laughs> Oh, this guy, this poor guy. I still, I, thought, talk to, I still talk to plenty of people from there too. I mean, again, great, oh, great, great, great company, great people. I know I still see a couple of that, those people around town, but uh, I almost thought that was the point I was going to convince you to come out of corporate America. I thought that was the point. Like, Mike, you're going to come partner with me. We're going to run an agency. We're going to make millions. And it didn't happen. So, yeah, I still had my eye on the prize. Yeah. 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 Well, you still can. I don't know what you guys are waiting for. You still got plenty of time. I I don't have the funding Mike needs. Mike, Mike's the guy that sits at the top and runs people. Okay. See, so my company and my, our dreams together. So for, for the listeners, my wife and I'm 
you all know that we run Modus Nation. Well, when, when Modus Nation was an idea, Mike was part of that idea. And so it just didn't, again, we've had, my, him and I have had evolution after evolution of relationship uh, business-wise. And, you know, when the time was, was right, it wasn't right. So um, he was almost the CFO of, of Modus Nation. That'd be awesome. I, I still remember uh, I was telling somebody this story because somebody asked me, I was wearing a Modus hat. So they said, oh, what Modus, what is that? So I was, you know, I was trying to explain to them and, and they pulled it up on their website. And, and I think I haven't been on, I think when I originally went on, I, I was like, hey, look at the mission statement and, and tell me and tell me what you think. Because I still remember like working through that with you. I was in a hotel room back in Boston Yeah, yeah. at like two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's like, you know, sac sacrifice is just a word for some. Yeah. It means everything for others, right? And so yeah. it's like typing this out in my phone and like sending it to you and saying, hey, what do you think of this? Like, you know, words matter. And, and you know, writing mission statements, I thought is really, really important because it's getting at the core and the DNA of what your business is trying to be. And so, yeah, it's super cool to see it. And I'm wearing, a, you know, I know viewers can't see me, but I'm wearing a Modus Nation t-shirt right now. And, you know, super, super proud of you guys. But, uh, but I just would love, like, I was like, I got a word or two in that mission statement. But, uh, no, you, you had, I still have the text. I haven't deleted that text <laughs> thread, but the um, talk about that a little bit. Cause I know that that's, um, that's a big thing for you. Um, without telling another, like when Wendy's story, but, you know, talk about your perspective on, a mission statement and how you focus that in on what your company's actually doing. Cause I know you have some very unique opinions about that, about who gets too wordy. And, and I know you specialize in, in teaching your employees and your staff, you know, this is what we need to, we need to be concise and we need to have this and that. Can you talk about that for a second? You know, somebody out, somebody out there might be trying to, you know, a mission statement's important. It's what you're, if you're building a company, that's what you're about. You know, that's what you need to stay focused on. And that's what you need to refer to and refer back to when you, when you're down in the dumps and when you're, when you're deciding on, do we go this way or that way? And does it meet with our company mission statement? So sorry, but go ahead. And if you don't mind chiming in on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I, and I've certainly helped some, some people with it. It's, it is definitely something I'm passionate about because I think, you know, for all the things somebody's going to struggle with starting a new business, there's there's a ton to be worried about, be thinking about. But I think you should you should probably labor the most over your mission statement, right? It should be one of the hardest things that you you do because not that it can't change on, over time, but it really is sort of the heartbeat of your business, and that's what I say. And I think you nailed it, right? It's it's you want to refer back to that at the best of times and then the worst of times. There are many days you'll never even look at it, and won't think about it, but. If your business is ready to really succeed, you want to look at that and say, hey, are we compromising anything from our mission statement or when we when we decided to do it? And compromising doesn't always mean it's a bad thing, right? You might say, hey, we've just matured and we've now moved past this, so it's time to rewrite it, rethink it. Or if your business is really struggling, right, and you're kind of, you know, do I keep doing this? Is it worth it? You go back to that mission statement and just remember how much time and energy you put into creating that to say, yeah, I really, I, I still believe it, right? I still believe it in my heart. So it's worth 
you know, continuing to invest the time or the money in. So yeah, with some of the nonprofits, like I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm not a huge fan of Apple all in. Right. I've, I, I don't know, but I'm a huge fan of Steve Jobs, right? I was just a huge fan of like his, right, thought, right. his thought process, right? And I thought, you know, if you really think about it, and I've, I've talked to, to, to people about this, if you think about what, what he said, right? What he wanted to do was change the world. And that was sort of the mission statement early on. And it's like, man, those are some of the most powerful words. It wasn't 15 sentences. It wasn't all this stuff. It's like change the world and think about it. If you ask him, well, how are you going to do that? He's like through the telephone. And someone right. would say, what are, you, what are you talking about? Through, through a device that's been around for 150 years? That's how you're going to, that, that sounds crazy to me, right? But he's, he's like, yeah, don't get hung up on the, on the what. Yeah. Just, just listen to the statement of we're changing the world. I'm going to change the world. And that, I think that was the power of of Apple and, and what they did, right? All the iterations, all the things that they created was, that was always the litmus test. Are we changing the world, right? Oh, hey, we created this. He'd probably say something like, that's awful because th that already exists, right? How, it's not innovative, it's not creative. How is that changing the world? And so I just think about the power he had and maybe it drove employees nuts. I'm sure it did, you know, you read his book and it was some challenging things, but every time an engineer or a graphic designer or the head of marketing would say, Hey, we are thinking about this. His test would be, how's that changing the world? And I don't know, for me, that would be an easy environment to work in because that's what you have to be thinking about. It's not make a smaller phone, a bigger phone, a wider phone, a sleeker phone, all those things become important in the process because you still have to sell stuff, but just think about, you know, how, how are we going to change the world? And I just, I just go back to that all the time like i'm writing strategic documents right now for my job and i just i'm not changing the world that's not what we do here but i'm creating an environment for our insurers our agents our employees right that just they're always trying to be better um and i i think about that like almost every day of just that was his statement if, if it wasn't that bold if imagine if he came out and said something like you know our mission statement is to create some of the coolest phones and we want to put a phone in everybody's pocket. And it's like, for what? Like, if I need a phone, I'll use the one on the wall. Or if I yeah. really need to call somebody, I'll use a pay phone. Like that stuff already, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Right. But that's not how we approached it. He just, you know, when investors would ask, Hey, what are you doing? It's like, I'm changing the world. And that is just, to me, is just so powerful. But, um, but yeah, I think the mission statement, I think a lot of people will maybe do that last I would always suggest do that first and just really labor over, over that because it does truly become the heartbeat of your business. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, you could say, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could almost use your mission statement to say, I mean, and always rely back to it and say, this is our mission statement and is what is this decision I'm making in my business? Is this contributing to that mission statement? And I think a lot of times in business or especially people that are starting off, they get caught up in the minutia of the business. Well, I need business cards and I need this and I need that. It's like, well, do you really, you know, do you really need an office? Do you need, you know, desks? Like people get caught up in the little stuff and it's like, that doesn't, does it contribute to that mission statement you're talking about? And I, I think what you're saying is really powerful. And I, I think, I don't think we can stress it enough that that the idea of a mission statement is essentially a mission. I mean, it's a mission, but it's equivalent to what the military does. It's like, what is the mission of the military? Okay, our either objective is this, our mission is to win a war. Does everything we do behind that 
contribute to that goal. Right. So it's, it's so powerful what you're saying. I don't want to, I don't want to brush past it. So that's incredible advice. Um, Yeah. And again, it it just, if you view it the the right way, it's always so much bigger than just your business. Right. Like, could you also say too, like with your mission statement, if you're starting a business, could you also kind of look at it in a way to say, okay, I'm going to do my mission statement first and then I'm going to work backwards. Okay. So I have my mission statement and then what's the step before I complete my mission statement and then I'm going to take that step and then I'm going to go backwards. What's the two steps before that and kind of work backwards. I mean, is that, would that be a logical way to approach a, a new business or a new venture? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I think if, uh, if you're trying to raise funds and you're, you're, you're trying to find really smart people to invest in your business, they, they may not ask it that, that sort of bluntly, right? Like tell me about your mission statement, but what the questions are going to ask you early on are getting at that, right? They want to understand what you're trying to accomplish, right? And if your goal is to sell a handful of t-shirts or, you know, you have a, a landscaping business and it's like, Hey, I just like cut trees and, and mowing some grass and I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, it's sort of what's interesting about it, right? That's, that's what I always tell people. And that's why I think about even like the Deuce, when you read that mission statement, it's a, the word like clothing or tea, like that's not in there anywhere, right? No. Nope. It, it is about community. It's about helping people. It's, and it's, you know, it's vet driven for sure, but it's not just for, it's, it's really to help people. And I do think regardless of what your product is, if your mission is to help people, um, I just think it becomes way more interesting. So. Oh, that's very cool. And I, I think too, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you can also say if you're looking to start a business or really almost anything, it's like, well, what, what value am I bringing? Right. What, what, what's the actual service that I'm providing? Because anybody can cut trees, anybody can cut grass. But if you're thinking of a way to market your business, well, I'm not just cutting your grass. I'm giving you free, I'm giving your family more time with you. So instead of you cutting your grass, I'll do it for you. And now you have more family time with your, you know, to go do whatever you want. And that's for a lot of people, that's worth way more than the 60, 75 bucks it takes to, to cut a lawn. Um, you know, and I think too, uh, another example I like for anyone that doesn't get what we're saying, you know, you look back at like the, the railroads and stuff, they thought they were in the train business, but they were in the cargo business and they didn't look at it that way back a hundred years ago. They thought we're the railroads. We're never going to be, <laughs> we're always going to be needed. Well, guess what? Trucks came around, air shipment came around. So if they would have thought about we're shipping cargo, it doesn't matter how we do it, but our mission is to ship cargo the most efficient way. They would have invested in trucks. They would have invested in planes when they came around and the railroads probably still would have been these massive corporations that ruled the world like they did, you know, 150 years ago. So that's just another way of looking at it. I know we're kind of beating the horse here, but uh, I think it's really valuable what we're talking about. So yeah, I think I, I maybe just one last thing. I think, uh, you know, like Amazon, everybody knows them. I think you, know, <laughs> you, you look at their logo, right? The underline from A to Z is, is yeah. I don't know who came up with that. It's pure brilliance because now their mission statement is almost tagged in their logo of we do everything. Yeah. And that's sort of how they were thinking. Like, why can't they want to get in the insurance business? Right. Because they're like Amazon. Amazon's not trying to change the world. They're trying to rule the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, they just they just they just figure they could be good at anything. Right. Yeah. And they are. Right. Yeah, they're right. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Amazon, but you really have to admire what they're doing. 
I mean, <laughs> not only are they shipping products in an amazing way, they have air, they have aircraft now. And last I heard, they were even shipping products for other companies, right? So now they're even in the shipping business. So now they're competing with the UPS and the USPS. Like, I mean, they're really doing everything. And they have a huge, um, you know, web serving business, AWS, which almost everything relies on. So as if the Amazon retail side wasn't big enough, they have this whole back end that a lot of people don't even know about. That's, I think, even bigger than uh, than the retail side that everybody sees. It, it, it's really incredible. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not a huge yeah. fan of Bezos, but I do admire what he's done. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have loved to have a fly on the wall coming up with the A to Z, right? Just in the wording and tying that logo, that that line underneath, I think is 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 brilliant. And and again, that that wasn't done in two minutes. I mean, there's again, that's yeah, there's real thought into that because when you do that, you're now on the hook to be A to Z, right? And yeah. so there's a room, that. there's a room full of smart people just thinking shit up. <laughs> Dude, so you know i think a you know a, a mission statement can be applied to anything i mean like you're saying brian like the you know if you want to get in the gym and lose some weight right you got to think of a personal mission statement and yeah. you know i mean you and i are guilty of it mike's guilty of it you, you go okay man you know what i want to i want to get muscular and lose some weight right so then you go all right, I'm going to get on Amazon and I'm going to buy me a weight set. Then I'm going to buy me a, a, this workout program. I got to go get some new workout shoes. I got to get some gloves and I got to get a belt. And I'm not going to start working out until then, right? Yeah. Like you, you need the newest, brightest thing. Is, is that really, I mean, if your mission is to get thinner, be more muscular, be more healthy, start eating right and work out. <laughs> like, that other stuff comes along with it. Yeah. We're all guilty of it, but it's, you know, refer back to it. You know, am I, am I focusing on this? You know, when I, when I'm deciding to either a donut or a salad, what, what's the mission statement, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's well said. And like for my journey and Ben knows this, I mean, I've, I've fluctuated from way being a college athlete. I was in amazing shape. And, you know, by mid thirties, I was no longer in amazing shape. I was far from, <laughs> from that as possible. But when my daughter was born, I mean, it was the, the mission statement became more about my family than me. Right. So it wasn't me looking good or me being muscular. It was being, being around for my family and healthy and healthy. And that, I mean, that was, that was a game changer for me. I mean, it's, it's hard to think about that and work through it, but um, then everything else became simple, right? When you have to make those choices, just like referring back to your mission statement to say, yeah, I'm doing this for, for more than just me. Right. And, and again, it, getting up at 5 a.m. and working out is never easy. But if it's for all the right reasons, you know, those really hard days you don't want to get up, make, maybe makes it a little bit easier. So, so Mike and I have had some really late night, uh, huge pasta, epic dinners, <laughs> uh, lots of wine. And, you know, we are infamous for that. Um, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I am very proud of Mike. How much weight have you lost in the last couple of years? 43 pounds 43 pounds you're about to do a david goggins race or something next year some crazy yeah, was, stuff yes yes so um so for some awareness and so what i think and i was going to ask you guys and maybe we talk, take it offline but you know you're you're doing the work with 22 uh mission 22 that was yeah. called, right yep um so so this is for caf it's challenged athletes foundation which i got involved with i don't know a year and a half ago 
you know, check him out. Great organization. Um, David Goggins, if you do see him uh, doing some of his long 200 plus mile races, he'll be wearing a CAF t-shirt, right? It's, it's, it's for kids that are challenged and even adults, right? Buying wheelchairs. I mean, these things are expensive. And so, so Goggins came out with a four by four by 48, which is run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Holy um, crap. It's brutal. It is absolutely brutal. It's in March. Um, I don't know the exact date, but, um, but we put a team together and, uh, and one of our teammates is part of CAF. He's, uh, um, he's, he's in a, in a wheelchair, but he was, he swam for, uh, for team USA. He does triathlon. So we have a pretty good group of guys. I mean, we're That's all old cool. and broken, so we're going to see, uh, see how we do it, but it's all going to be in an effort to, to raise as much money as possible for, uh, for CAF. And again, if you, if you guys think we can try to help them raise some money for, uh, for some other charities, we, we would love to do it. And, um, you know, we've talked to Ben and Lindsay about we're, we're going to do some CAF t-shirts and just try to promote some, some businesses, and, you know, all that kind of, all that kind of fun stuff, but it was a fun way. There was no way I was going to do it at 280 pounds. And so our group, I think, you know, we did a weight loss challenge and I think the loser, the worst person lost like 23 pounds or something. So it's just still good. Hard to call him a loser. Right. But it's, everybody was really involved and engaged. And, uh, and again, it's always about community for me. If you do things on your own, I think it's always harder and you you find community and some like-minded people and, you know, then almost anything is, uh, is possible. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll keep you guys posted on, on when we do it and and how we're going to try to fundraise. But I just think, again, giving back and, and helping, you know, sitting on the board of a nonprofit, I know how difficult it is to, to raise money and, and, and do things. So, uh, so any, any way I can help, I'm, I'm getting involved in, in trying to help. So. That's very cool. And I, I like what you said too, about I think what you're describing. I think we've talked about it before, but it's, it's that accountability. So whatever venture you're trying to, whatever road you're trying to go down, having that accountability, whether you're trying to lose weight or start a business, I think that's huge. You know, being responsible for someone else is, is a huge motivator because it's easy to let yourself down. Ah, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And I'm just as guilty of that as anybody, but um, you know, I love what you're saying. And I think what's important too, just for whatever venture you're trying to, to start, don't be afraid to make mistakes because like you said earlier, sometimes finding out what you're not good at is probably more valuable than finding out what you are good at. So whether you're trying to lose weight or start a business, don't be afraid to make mistakes because that's how you learn. And sometimes there, it, well, there's always value in those mistakes, but the, the trick is learning from it. So um, I, I'm, like I said, I'm guilty of it. But for me, like you too, like you said, I'm, I've always struggled with staying in shape, but uh, I found a great app. This is just a side note for anyone interested, Copilot. They're not a sponsor, but it's an awesome app. There's a trainer on the other end. So anyone that's looking to lose some weight, I strongly recommend check them out because there's an actual trainer that gives you a program and you got to answer to them. So there are tools out there for whatever you want to do, whether it's exercise, whether it's losing weight, the tools are out there and just try them, whether it's starting a business, you know, try different things. There's so many tools out there. And we've said this before too. There's so many options out there. We are spoiled for choice and in a way it's overwhelming, but whatever you want to do, you can do it. You just got to, you got to find it. And that's kind of what we're trying to do is, is point you in the right direction. Um, so that's my, that's my rant for the night, but 
I, I love everything you're saying. It's incredible. So I, I don't want to steal your thunder, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's, I had a college coach, a uh, football coach who used to say, embrace the grind. Yeah. Right. You've got to find the fun in the grind. And when you do everything else just becomes easier and, and you know, yeah. just and, less hard. Right. In the army, we say, and the Marines too, we'd say, you know, embrace the suck. It's the same, same concept. Hey, right. correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't, um, didn't you get coached at like a, didn't you go to like when you were younger to a football camp over there at Penn state with Sand Sandusky? No. No. <laughs> one, one, I wasn't nearly good enough to go anywhere near Penn State. Oh, I thought I thought when you were growing up in Jersey, you were doing like summer camp at Penn State. <laughs> no. Oh, oh my bad. You know, what's, what's funny on a real side note, like I never went to the football camp. I I went to basketball camps. Like, and I, you, I how tall are you? You're like six three, right? Yeah, six, yeah, six, 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 six two, six three. Range. Yeah, I went to the Pocono Invitational like three years, which. You know, it was a lot of D1 basketball players, but, you know, being a six foot two and change power forward, I wasn't, I wasn't getting anywhere near past high school. How, how tall is your dad? Your dad's pretty tall. Yeah, he's same, six, six two-ish, six, two and a half. So, we're, we're about the same height. So Mike's dad uh, retired as a general in the Army, um, and uh, we still refer to him as the general. Like, when I call him up, I go, how's the general doing? Right. That's and, correct. and uh the first time he came to Las Vegas, um, Lindsay and I had just started dating and I wasn't too I mean, I still I mean maybe a year and a half out of the army and and uh so Mike invites us to dinner. We go to this Italian place and Lindsay was not Lindsay and I were not married or dating while I was in the army. So she she knew I was in the army and stuff, but she she never experienced any of that. And so uh I walk in and I was at attention the whole time. And it was like, I mean, I sat in my chair with my hands on the thing and, you know, and I, and he's like, so how do you like to, you know, I'm yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. Roger that. No negative Roger. Yes, sir. You know, stand up. And I mean, we were about halfway through the meal and I remember Mike and Lindsay just kind of like, they were giggling so hard. Like, look at this dude. He can't like, I couldn't relax. And no. I mean, and he wasn't being, I mean, he gives off. Mike's dad gives off the, like, when you're standing with him, you know, he was, he, you know, it's like he's in uniform, even though he's not in uniform, he's that guy. Right. But he wasn't being the general, but he was the general. So it's like, you know, it's yes, sir. Roger, no, Roger, 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 Roger. And, you know, Lindsay, Lindsay and Mike's wife made fun of me for years for being just such on edge, you know, like I didn't know what to do at dinner. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he definitely, he's, he's a humble guy and he likes to have fun, but he, he gives off that presence for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Had a, I had a similar experience when I got to meet uh, general Mattis, he gave a, he gave a speech at the uh, Nixon library out here in California a couple years ago. And he took, like, he actually was a nice guy. He weeded off to the side and took questions. And I'd, I was there with one of my other Marine buddies and I, it was one of those things like I wanted to talk to him, but I just, I froze up. It's like, it's general Mattis. <laughs> You know, I had an opportunity to ask him anything I wanted to. And it's like, uh, I, I'm sure I look like a babbling fool. You know, I, I think I told him that, you know, I was in the Marine Corps as a sergeant. And that was about as far as I got. Cause I was like, uh, 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 you need, uh, you need me on that wall. You need yeah. me on that wall. I mean, luckily my buddy was there and he was more, he was more open. He was, he actually was my first sergeant that I was with, but no, it's funny. It's funny how it happens. Like you meet these guys that are, they just have a presence about them. And it's, uh, you just revert back to that boot camp 
you know, PFC day, you know, it's for funny. Sure. For sure. But, yeah. It is, it is interesting though. Like, I mean, growing up with that and being around it all the time, the level of respect he had for, you know, for, for non-commissioned guys. And, you know, he, he, he would be nervous around like, you know, I got to meet some of the first sergeants that work with him and stuff. And he would, those are the people he was more nervous around that than meeting another general or, or somebody else, because he just, he had such a high level of respect for them. So I think it's interesting, right. That they're probably as nervous as you are like right. meeting you and you meeting them. You know what I mean? They're yeah, still yeah. people and they're, they're just genuinely curious about your experience. and what Well, it goes doing. back to your comment about you, you can't, you know, a first sergeant with 20 plus years experience, you don't replace that with right. 10 guys with two years experience. I mean, you know, a first sergeant in the army and a, a what is that in what's E8 in the Marine Corps gunnery master? So no, no. Um it's oh god, I'm forgetting. Oh boy. No, no, it's uh it's either a first sergeant or a master sergeant. Oh master, that's right. Yeah, because yeah, that's what uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Murph was first sergeant. Yeah, so I mean, guys that get to that level, uh, you don't get to that level without having a vast, broad experience base, right? So, you know, counting, you know, the worst officers. The worst officers in the army didn't count or rely on their NCOs. I mean, I, you know, I was at the platoon level for my entire career and, you know, the lieutenants come in and out of the platoon. You get a lieutenant in, he makes first lieutenant, he goes to a different job and then gets a staff job and then becomes a captain. Right. But the, the guys that would come in and go, I'm the officer, this is how we're going to do it were never really that successful. The guys that came in and went, Hey, Sergeant, last year I was in college. Uh, can you help me out? Like, what do you think? They still led, they led from the front. You respected them, but when they respected you and listened to your advice with that experience, they were always more successful And the platoon, the machine was more, you know, was more successful. It's, it's always such an interesting, uh, dynamic between young officers and seasoned non-commissioned officers yeah, Crazy. yeah Crazy. and that and that that transfers into corporate america and, and businesses right it's it's always being being able to be coached up and, and not just coaching down and, and i always remind employees right that leaders they need experience too and just because they become a first-time leader doesn't mean they know everything they probably actually know nothing and they know less yeah. and they're not always comfortable asking so you know, don't be afraid to help them either. And it is interesting to see that dynamic. Maybe some people are more natural at leading, but, uh, but there's nothing natural about. Well, that's, that you know, sense. that's what's so unique about um, the Army's Ranger School. You know, a lot of people go, oh, that's a combat course. There's nothing to do with combat. The Ranger School is an absolute right. leadership course. Right. And it, and to be successful at Ranger School, you got to do a lot of things. You got to be able to hack it, right? But the success at Ranger School is lead when you are supposed to lead and follow when you're supposed to follow. So you you have to know that dynamic. I mean, that's that's leadership yeah. 101. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting when they wear that, you know, that Ranger School tab. It just shows that they've completed that course and they should have the experience to be a quality leader, right? I mean, that's it's interesting in the military, it's always interesting because you get to wear sort of the insignia or the patch that, that shows people you have experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You don't walk up on somebody and not really know what they've done. You right. wear a combat patch, you wear, you know, your rank, 
what unit you're in, Ranger tab, Air Assault tab, Airborne tab, you know, all those things. I mean, you walk in a room and you run into, you know, Green Beret guys, uh, you know, you see their Green Beret patch, you know, right, you know, you assume they're squared away and they're wearing it on their shoulder. You know, you assume not, not always the case, but you assume. You well, know, I mean, well, it is, it is still an army. So, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> spoken like a true Marine. <laughs> oh my gosh. The banter we have about the Marines, you know why the Marines, well, never mind. I'm not even getting into it. I can't tell that joke on our podcast. It's maybe, maybe one last story before, uh, for my neighbor was Phoenix PD. He's since moved, but his name was Mike. He was in the, he was in the core. And uh, when my dad came out, he was super interested to meet with him. So he pings me on my phone and said, Hey, I'm going to ring the doorbell. Have your dad answer the door. And I said, well, okay. I said, if you're going to play a joke, <laughs> just, be, just be prepared. And so he rings the doorbell. He answers it. And there was a Marine Corps flag ginormous <laughs> one hanging over the front door. <laughs> The guy's wife was so mad because he spent like 300 bucks on this flag. Like it was like a, be on a battleship. I mean, it took up half my house. I don't even know how he hung it. My dad rips it off, folds it perfectly, brings it over to, to him. And is like, I have a ton of respect for the court and hands it back to him and just turns around, walks away. <laughs> like, he's like, your dad was stoic. He wasn't mad. He didn't disrespect the court. I'm like, he's not going to. They're not disrespecting anything. Like he folded it perfectly and handed it back to him. And it was, it was just a pretty funny moment, but it was, you know, it was, the, I love it. Me versus the core. And as he's walking back, he's mumbling to me. He's like, yeah, that's the inferior branch. You know, we're better than it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I've told the story before, uh, on the, on a, on the podcast, but we were, when I was in Hawaii one night, we were down, you know, we'd all go to the club and stuff, you know, and you hung out with your platoon and this and that. And I remember I, we had a buddy that was the guy, if you got to watch him cause he fights every Friday night. And so, you know, one of the guys is like, Hey, you know, Dave's outside. Right. And I'm like, Oh crap, here we go. So I go outside and, uh, and I apologize to the listeners. Cause I'm pretty sure I told the story, but it's relevant to this. And he's out there with like 10 Marines and the Marines down at Kaneohe Bay, he's talking smack and they're all up in each other's face. They're doing the macho macho. Right. And, uh, right then we're all squaring off right then. Some like tourist college kids walk by and they start talking smack. And all of a sudden we start fighting with these college kids and it's the Marines and the army dudes fighting the college kids. And then when we're done, we're like, Hey, you want to get some pancakes? It's good to see you guys. You know, but 10 minutes before it was like army, Marine, army, Marine. And then when somebody else talks back though, it's on like, yeah, it's, it's family. Right. And that's what my yeah. dad would say. Like, there's nobody I'd rather fight with than, you know, army guys and green guys. He just had respect for everybody. hundred percent. Yeah, everyone's got mission-specific things that they do, but everybody's hardcore. And when you need to be, you are one family. I've, I've, oh, seen, yeah. I've seen that for sure. But I thought that was a pretty funny joke. The guy went way out of his way, spends tons of money, getting on a ladder <laughs> to hang stuff in my house. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It was uh, great. great. So, dude, awesome. so we ask every every guest, we ask them very specifically as we wrap things up. Like if 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 you were to give one person, you know, one piece of advice out there to anybody trying to start a business, you know, I think that's probably most relevant to this conversation. But, you know, to make a change, go from zero to one, one piece of advice about, you know, jumping off the cliff. What would what would that be? Wow, that's I mean, I think that's that's a great question. And I would. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I can give just just one, but I'll try to be con concise. But I would, 
I, I would say like believe in yourself um, and believe in the process, right? Know, like, again, going back to that, enjoy the grind and just know it's going to be like doing anything great is going to be tough. And it's supposed to be tough. It's supposed to be hard. And you're supposed to have moments of doubt and you're supposed to, you know, say, Hey, I don't know if I can do this. Right. I, maybe my goals are too aspirational. Maybe I'm setting them too high. And I would argue if you're not having those thoughts, you're, you're not thinking big enough. Right. So, and you constantly have to stay in that frame of mind. Like I, I remind myself all the time, like we, I need to push harder because I'm getting comfortable and, you know, it, it can be hard for some, but it is always like, you just want to continue to get better. And I think if you, if you believe in yourself, you believe in the process and you know, it's supposed to be hard, then you know, when you're on the right path. And I think some people think, Hey, this is just too hard and I'm on the wrong path. I think it's the complete opposite. And so that would be my advice. I would say, you know, in those moments, just, just rem remember why you started it, why you did it. If you do it for something bigger than yourself, but no, just know if you're doing something great, it's going to be hard and it's supposed to be hard. So. I love it. That's great advice. I think that's a great place to end. I think we've talked about a lot of stuff. I think you were an awesome guy. Thank you for sharing your, your experience and thank you for sharing all your, your wisdom. Um, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Um, uh, and then for the listeners, for if you don't mind, uh, for the charity you were talking about, we will uh, post links on the website. Uh, so anyone that, that missed it that wants to contribute, uh, that'll be on our website, nothingo.com. We'll have that up there. I think that's an awesome charity. Um, I think anytime you can help people out that have you know, a, a disadvantage, that's a, a worthwhile cause. So we will uh, we'll definitely have that up there so you guys can, can contribute. But uh, Mike, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, Love to hear some of those stories you and Ben were talking about. Yeah, so, we can't talk. We can't tell those stories on, on a podcast. Well, we have families now. We have kids. We could do yeah. hypothetical, maybe something. <laughs> no, you guys do a great job. Thank, thank you for inviting me. It was, it was a pleasure. I appreciate it, bro. I know you're busy, so. Thanks, yeah, guys. No, yeah, thank you very much. So, with that, uh, for Ben, this is Brian and Mike. Uh, signing off for the uh, Nothing Note podcast. Thanks, everybody. We will we'll talk to you soon. Bye.